The gospel that we've just heard should, I hope, be very familiar to the, very fresh in the memories of our catechumens uh, today, uh, Tara, uh, Brianna, and Callie, because yesterday they uh, did an exercise, a little retreat day in preparation for their, uh, part of their preparation for their uh, baptism uh, at the Easter Vigil. And it just so happens that on the third Sunday, sorry, the, the fifth Sunday of Lent, we do the third scrutiny and whenever for, for the uh, catechumens. And whenever we do this, uh, we always use the readings of year A, which uh, includes the gospel of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And clearly we see in the, in the readings today um, an explanation of God's power and Jesus' power uh, over life and over death. Uh, God promises to the people of Israel that he will open their graves uh, and they will come out from their graves and they will be settled in Israel. That must be, of course, the new Israel of heaven, uh, which is where we all, all hope to be. And just a little word on that. As I was reading that, uh, you know, reading uh, before in preparation for today's Mass, just a little word about burial, if I can just inter, in, you know, put something in here, uh, interstitially, as it were. Um, how important it is uh, that our people be buried. I've, it's very sad when I find that news that someone has died and there's been no ceremonies and no news of a burial. Uh, even when there's a cremation, you know, the, the remains should be should be buried. I ple please yourselves make sure that in arranging your funerals, you make it very clear that you wish to have a funeral service, a mass, funeral mass, and that you wish to be buried, whether the full body or whether the cremated remains, and, in, and whole. Don't go sharing out the remains uh, with, with family members or others like that. It's not in keeping with the dignity of the human body because we look forward to the day when God will raise our bodies um, and make them like his in, in glory. Now we know that God can do everything with matter, but there's a dignity that our bodies have. And please spread the word and encourage people. You know, sometimes people say, well, especially as people die older now uh, than they used to, um, well, no one knows them. You know, no one knows me, no one will come to the funeral anyway, but that doesn't matter. The fact is that the church is offering those final rites for the one who has, who, who has died. And so the whole church is there and the church wishes to honor uh, the, those, those uh, mortal remains of one who was baptized, uh, who was a temple of God. So please just uh, spread the word, encourage people please to arrange funerals if, if cost is a worry, so, you know, church funeral doesn't cost anything. Um, uh, it's, it's the other people who lay on all the charges, and of course they need to be paid. Salaries need to be paid, it's only just. And if anyone is in any financial difficulty over a funeral, you just let me know. Uh, you know, and we'll, we'll make sure, one way or another. I say we, <laughs> won't we? All right, we will make sure one way or another that no one is deprived of a funeral because of, uh, 
you know, for financial reasons. Anyway, that wasn't what I wanted to preach about. But the scripture readings, particularly the Gospel of Lazarus, demonstrates uh, Lord Jesus' power over death as well. And of course, this is important because we're coming up to the solemn celebration of his passion and death, and we know that, it, that uh, he will rise again from the dead. So we see that our Lord is able to raise a dead man, even though he has been in the tomb for four days, even longer than our Lord was in the tomb. And how Martha tells him, but Lord, he will stink. Uh, you know, you, we need to use a strong word for that. He will stink. The Latin is yam fetid. Uh, that has fetid. You know, it's a horrible sense, isn't it? You know, he'll be absolutely horrible. You know, our Lord says, just show me where he is. And we'll take care of it. So that's an important lesson power over death and resurrection there's the lesson there but there's and so it's a physical one isn't it but there's also a spiritual lesson for us to learn particularly in the light of the catechumens who are here today and who will be undergoing the third scrutiny but indeed for all of us because that sickness of Lazarus which became death actually is about sin Lazarus was sick. News was sent to our Lord. The one you love is sick. And he just stayed where he was. Sickness, spiritual sickness is sin. And it leads to, unless it's cured, to death. And our Lord said, and our Lord being God, of course, knew his state. No, actually, he's not sick, he's asleep. And then he had to make it clear that he's dead. We can, we can think of this as, a, as applying to ourselves in terms of when we fall into sin, we become sick spiritually. And it can ultimately lead to the death of mortal sin, the death of the soul, the deprivation of sanctifying grace from our souls. And there's only one who has power over that. And it's our Lord Jesus himself, who comes to us no matter what the state of our souls are, no matter how dead we might be, no matter how shameful we might think the sins that are on our consciences are, he commands us to come out, to come out to life, to come out from that place of darkness into the light of the world. When people who uh, you know, have come to the church, like our catechumens, they will come in different ways. Some come because they studied history and they see that the Catholic Church is the one true church. Others come because they see the, the state of the world and they see that it's the church that actually is able to give an explanation. Some come because they see evil in the world and they see no solution to evil but our Lord Jesus Christ and the church. Some see the mystery of suffering in the world and they can't, they find there's no other explanation for suffering but our Lord who suffers himself on the cross and dies and the, and the church gives, enables us to give meaning to suffering. Some out, come out of a deep sense of conversion. They're aware of their sinful life and of their need for redemption. However they come, all these different ways, some more intellectually, some more emotionally perhaps, as they come for preparation for baptism, 
they all come face to face with their sinfulness. And that was part of the exercise they did yesterday with this Lazarus gospel. And we also have to come face to face with that in our own lives repeatedly. And sometimes we will, when we come to conversion, we will, become, we will come aware as we deepen in our examination of our conscience of things that are sin we didn't realize they were sin. But we realized that there was something hurting us. And the problem was sin. And those sins come to light and they are brought out, just like Lazarus is called out. And they're exposed to the, to the, to the gaze of Christ, the light of Christ, and our consciences become enlightened. And then we see, in fact, what we didn't realize was sin, was sin. The Catechism speaks a little bit about sin. Uh, it says that uh, sin creates a proclivity to sin. In other words, it, sin engenders sin. It engenders vice by repetition of the same acts. These, this results in perverse inclinations which cloud conscience and corrupt the concrete judgment of good and evil. Thus, sin tends to reproduce itself and reinforce itself. But it cannot destroy the moral sense at its root. In other words, there always remains in, within each person that moral compass, the law of God, written in our hearts that, the, that we, the scriptures speak about. And it directs us to what is good, even should we do, decide not to follow it. The compass within us will always point in the right direction, but we can because of the cloud and nature of our consciences can, can override it or even not see it. The, con the Catechism describes our conscience as man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. It is there that man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil sounds in his heart at the right moment for man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. And that's the law that we desire to see more clearly uh, so that our lives can be, we can be freed from the bonds of sin. And our, our catechumens have gone through an, an exercise in which they, they become more aware of those things that perhaps they didn't realize. And we too also need, need uh, uh, to do that. Now, when Lazarus was called out, he was still bound in, in those burial bands. And our Lord asked others to go and help to, to untie him. He wasn't going to do it all himself. So there's that calling out, and then there's that liberation with the help of others. Now, of course, this is a sign of the, the sacraments and the priests uh, who unbind us from our sins because of the power of binding and loosing. Um, and so our catechumens will be baptized at the Easter Vigil and completely unbound, as it were, through the ministry of the church. But like all of us, we, we trip along the way, don't we? And we get ourselves bound up in things. And we need to be unbound. We need to be loosed. And so we return to the sacrament of reconciliation of confession to be further unbound. But also there's another sense in this, our Lord asking others to unbind Lazarus, and that is that we all have to collaborate in that work of 
bringing people out from the tomb and into light and into new life. We are the ones who help others move away from lives of sin to lives of virtue. Our catechumens have, our elect have their sponsors who are helping them on that journey today, collaborators. And we hope that they'll, they'll maintain a relationship uh, and uh, continue to help them on the way. But we all need to be involved in some way in this work of unbinding, which is the mission of the church. And even on a parish level, just the everyday things, we need all to be involved. We need all to help one another. We need all to think that if, if this parish is to carry out its mission, I need to do my bit. It's not all father, it's not all the faith formation director or the employed staff, it's each, it's each one of us. From little things like welcoming to, more, to other things which are, nothing's less important than anything else, but everything is important to being in the choir, serving mass, teaching catechism, all these things are very important. We, we all have to be, hear that call of going, go and unbind him, help in the task. We pray today for our catechumens, uh, and we will in a moment with the, with the ceremony of the, of the third scrutiny, that they will experience a rising to new life uh, when they are baptized. They've already experienced that in, 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 in a great detail. But whenever someone converts from a life of sinfulness to a life of virtue, there is a death and then a rising. It's not a particularly seasonally apt comparison, but it's just that I read an article recently about Charles Dickens. And uh, uh, it comments, comments on many of uh, Dickens's novels, um, but one of which is The Christmas Carol. Uh, and um, you know, the, the main uh, protagonist is a man called Scrooge, as you may know, who's a very selfish man, uh, miserly, pays an unjust wage to one of his employer, employees who is the father of a poor little boy who's a cripple called Tiny Tim. And this man is completely indifferent to the needs of those around him. But the ghost of Christmas appears to him. And it's a mercy, really, isn't it? God appears to him in some way and shows him what will happen if he remains his selfish self. That, and particularly with this family of Tiny Tim and his employee. Amongst which, of course, Tiny, Tiny Tim would die. Well, through other visions as well that the, the, the ghost of Christmas shows him, Scrooge's conscience is touched. And he goes through a conversion. And he ends up buying the biggest tur Christmas turkey that his money can buy for this family of his employee and the next day, and Christmas a day off with a salary, which he never did before. And, uh, and so on and so on. Of course, Tiny Tim doesn't die, and Scrooge rises to a new life. The old Scrooge dies, and he's a new man. This is the process of conversion that all of us need to go through repeatedly, examining our conscience so that we can be constantly called out to a new life, a new way of living, and that we can be freed from our sins. 
We also have those who are not catechumens, but the candidates as well, uh, who have already been baptized. And they are also preparing for reception into the church and the reception of the sacrament of confirmation. Let's keep them in our prayers today as we call out our catechumens now uh, for this uh, third scrutiny. So Kali and Brianna and Tara with their sponsors would like to come forward.